So how many of you know that um, frequently the Word, not always, but frequently the Word of God uh, opens the head first and then the heart, okay? So frequently worship opens the heart first and then the head. So, you know, if you, if you think about a, um, you know, a marriage, um, if your marriage is all cerebral and not all heart, it's probably lacking something, right? Yeah? Or, or let's flip it. If your marriage is all heart and you, ne- you can't talk and interact and communicate, guess what? It's probably lacking something. So what we're actually working to, to cultivate here is, is, a, um, is a head and a heart, okay? So we are contending, and I really appreciate what Catherine did this morning because she, um, she lingered a little bit. She probably made some of you uncomfortable. And guess what? That's okay. That's okay. You might need to take an action item and go, wow, okay, I might have some heart work to do. If worship makes you uncomfortable, then that would be a step um, in cultivating and developing a deeper walk with the Lord. Uh, similarly, if you know, the preaching of the Word and the opening of the Word makes you uncomfortable, then you might need to take an action item there. So, you know, but what we are working towards is actually building and cultivating a church that is both Word and Spirit, or Word and Heart. That's good. So, Beautiful worship. Adam, thank you. You kind of led the team this morning. Really, really grateful. Yeah, so good. Okay, we are in Exodus 12. Um, Just a quick recap as to why we're even looking at the book of Exodus. I had a couple people go, man, Exodus. Okay, so Jesus was transfigured in the New Testament. We've talked about this. If you've been here, then if you haven't, you can go back and listen to it. But Jesus was transfigured in the New Testament on a big mountain, and God sort of shone down on him, and out of eternity uh, walked two people. Anybody remember who they were? Moses and Elijah. They walked on out and started talking to Jesus, and Jesus' disciples are like floored back here, laying on the ground, scared to death. And they walked out of eternity, because guess what? Christians don't die. We just transfer our residency to a new place. Yeah? Yeah. Okay, so they walked right on out, and they have this conversation primarily between Jesus and Moses, and they're talking about Jesus' departure. That's the word that the NIV Bible, that's what I usually read, uses. And Jesus' departure in Greek, who remembers, is Exodus. So that's exactly right. So that's why we are looking at the book of Exodus, because Jesus uh, becomes, in some ways, even though he was before Moses, he becomes a second Moses in leading the people from the bondage of Egypt through the desert into the promised land. That's right. So that's kind of the trajectory that God, I think, wants to take all of us as believers on. So uh, what I want to point at today, and I'm going to do my best to just open the scripture and kind of get out of the way today, um, just to let, we're going to let God speak to us uh, through the word. But what I want you to understand as we look at this is this concept of, um, if, if you were in seminary, where's Tim? Is Tim in here? Tim Livingston? He's in seminary. He's, he's not here. He was here. Oh, well, Tim's in seminary. But in seminary, you'd call this a biblical um, or or Hebrew parallelism. Okay? So what that basically means is there's a bookend um, on one side, and then God does a bookend on the other, and it's got a full circle sort of effect. Okay? Does that make sense? So let me give you a couple of examples before we start reading. Um, In the beginning, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, the setting is a garden. Yeah, creation, but and then, then after creation, it's the garden. Okay, uh, ec- or Revelation 21 and 22, the setting is? The dark 
a new garden, a new Jerusalem, or new Eden. That's right. So you, you, get this, you get this huge parallelism, a Hebrew parallelism. And I actually want to propose to you that that Hebrew parallelism is way more than just from the Hebrews. I think it's a language of heaven. Okay? So I think that, that uh, God chose the Hebrew people, and we've been grafted in, so that, that's, that's good. But I think this is, it, it, it supersedes even that, because I think this is one of the great languages that the Holy Spirit of God uses in each of our lives. And, um, I mean, I could go even personal examples of when he's brought me back to a point of similar decision, or he's uh, completed a work by bringing something back around. But it's a full, it's a full circle um, I think people who uh, don't believe in Jesus would call it like a deja vu moment, okay? And I'm like, eh, I don't, I don't really buy that or believe in it. But here's what I do believe. I believe in a God who uh, brings things all the way back around, okay? And that's Hebrew parallelism, or uh, you could call it heavenly parallelism, or, or the language of heaven. So let me give you a couple of, of other examples before we start reading in Exodus 12. <clears throat> um, John... 129. You can make a note if you're, if you're uh, taking notes. But John the Baptist is actually baptizing people um, on the Jordan River, and he looks up, and he sees Jesus is coming towards him, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, what are we getting ready to read in Exodus 12? Anybody have any idea? Anybody looked ahead? Passover. Okay, so... Full circle, language of heaven, Hebrew parallelism. Here we go. <clears throat> um, Jesus in uh, Matthew 5.17 was speaking, and he said, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. This is very important because there's a lot of New Testament believers, even right now, I feel like, that get stuck on this. Jesus says, I haven't come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. It's very different. He didn't get rid of all the Old Testament. No, no, no. He completed it. He fulfilled it. So that's what we're actually going to be looking at today, is how Jesus becomes the Lamb. First <clears throat> um, Corinthians 5, 7, and 8. If you're reading your one-year Bible with us, I won't ask for hands on that one. But if you're not reading your one-year Bible with us, there's one out there, grab it. That's an awesome little exercise. I do that. But this was actually in our reading this week. First Corinthians 5, 7, and 8. And it says, Christ, this is Paul talking to the church in Corinth, and he says, Christ, our Passover Lamb. Interesting. Hebrew parallelism. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us, so let us celebrate the festival. What festival? Passover, that's right. Not with the old bread of wickedness and evil, but with the new bread of sincerity and truth. So, some little examples of, of biblical or, or um, Hebrew parallelism. All right, let's dig into Exodus 12, and we're going to try to get me out of the way. Now, when you open your Bible, or when you come to a worship gathering, here is what I would uh, coach you to be doing. Holy Spirit, would you speak to me? Okay? So I, I, don't, I don't really care uh, too much what I have to say. Amen? I don't really, I, I love you and like you and are to say. But, but here's what we do. I mean, we want to know. And we want to build our lives on what the Spirit of Jesus is saying. And so as we open the Word of God, uh, even as we come to sing, I'm just pointing to where I sat over here singing, but as we come, there's the heart posture where you go, Lord Jesus, would you speak to me? So say that with me. Ready? One, two, three. Okay. Now, what does that do? Why, why would I even have you do that? 
positions the heart. That's exactly right. In fact, you'll, you'll hear, um, I've heard Christians fuss and argue over, oh, don't welcome God here, don't welcome the Holy Spirit because he's already here. Positionally and theologically, that is absolutely right. And that person who I've heard say that is 100% accurate. That's right. But, but what it does is it cultivates heart position where you go, Lord Jesus, would you speak to me? Lord Jesus, I yield my heart to you. Lord Jesus, I yield my life to you. Um, and it, and it, it actually invites him or invites the Holy Spirit, uh, who is a person, into your life and heart. Does that make sense? Okay, so let's say it again. Holy Spirit, speak to me. I'm going to move this because I can't see y'all. I'm going to mess somebody up later, but that'll be fine. Okay. All right, let's get me out of the way and let's look at Exodus 12 and see what happens. Uh, <clears throat> if you're scrolling, scroll. If you're flipping, great. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, th- now, I guess I should have given you a little, um, uh, excuse me, I'm starting actually Exodus 11. I'm, I'm glad I looked up. Exodus 11 is where we're beginning, not 12. But we've done the first nine plagues. The last plague was the plague of darkness, and I likened that because it was dark for three days, and it was dark in the land when Jesus hung on the cross, or who remembers? Three hours. Jesus was actually in the grave for how many days? Three days. So again, biblical parallelism. I called you out, Tim, and you weren't here for it. <laughs> Welcome back. We were talking about Hebrew parallelism. I said, Tim would know this from seminary. Anyway, um, <clears throat> so uh, we're, we're coming up on this final plague. It's the 10th plague, and I think the way that you under- have to understand and look at the plagues is, we, we talked about it uh, last week, but it's Exodus 6, which is gall, and gall is, the, is um, the Old Testament word for redemption or a God who is seeking after, chasing after, and bringing his people back to him. So you have to see the plagues, um, not as God being mean or ugly or whatever. No, no, no. He's actually um, going after his people and he's bringing them back to himself. He's bringing them to safety. He is seeking after them. And even what I think is beautiful about the plagues is uh, he, he starts with things that are very not destructive and don't hurt anybody, right? And he gives Pharaoh and he gives the Egyptians opportunity to repent. This is always the heart of God. He is a good father. He is a good God. And he is always going to call people into repentance and into accordance with his will. So he graciously gives Pharaoh time. Pharaoh doesn't take the opportunity, does he? Neither do the Egyptians. And so we come to this 10th plague, which is really serious. So chapter 11, let's start reading. Now, the Lord had said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. And after that, he will let you go from here. When he does, he will drive you out completely. So they'd been asking for this uh, three-day celebration in the wilderness, right? And, and, he's, and what God's now telling Moses is, he's about to be done with you. Tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. The Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people, and Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. So two things there that I love is Moses is highly respected by all the Egyptians. Isn't that amazing? I mean, God has even made Moses' enemies sort of in accordance with him. I mean, what a beautiful beautiful little note there. Um, And we're going to talk again about the neighbors asking, um, the, the, the Israelites asking for articles of silver and gold as they exit Um, Egypt, because that's really important. We'll do some parallelism in my message. Okay, verse 4. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says. About midnight I will go throughout Egypt, and every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh, who sits on the throne, to the firstborn son of the female slave, who is at her hand mill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt. This is heavy, isn't it? This is no joke. I mean, this is heavy. 
and and I it it uh, we're going to touch on it a little bit, but but it it um it should be taken as such. It's it is the righteousness and justice of God, uh, and you can't understand the grace of God, the mercy of God, the redemption of God. Um, without understanding this other side of God. And all of a sudden, when you understand the righteousness and justice of God, the judgment of God, the grace of God is all the much bigger and more broad and more sweet. Yeah? Okay. There will be a loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than has ever been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any person or animal. Then you will know that a Lord, the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come to me, bowing down before me and saying, Go, you and all the people who follow after you. And after that, I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. So Moses is, uh, one commentary I read says, Moses was in a rage here. I mean, he was just done. Moses is like, I am finished with you. And the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you so that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed all the wonders before Pharaoh, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart that he would not let the Israelites out of his country. Quick recap on that. That's in one of the messages we did. We talked about uh, Pharaoh's hardened heart. But ten times uh, the scripture that I could find said Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Ten times the scriptures say God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Really interesting. Uh, What I found, though, is that God hardened Pharaoh's heart only after Pharaoh had already hardened his heart. Does that make sense? So again, God's sovereignty, our free will in the context of God's sovereignty is what you kind of have unfolding there. Okay, chapter 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month uh, of the year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each uh, man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. And if any household is too small for the whole lamb, uh, they must share with one of their nearest neighbors, having taken into account the number of people that are there. Okay, down to verse 5. Um, the animals you choose must be one-year-old males. Okay, let me pause here because I want to I open something up. Um, when God met Moses at the, burning, at the burning bush, what did God tell Moses to go do? Yeah, speak to Pharaoh, but what, did he, what was the goal? Deliver my people. Deliver my people. Okay, go to Egypt and deliver my people. Um, what was the goal of the plagues. What? Repentance? Okay. So God's uh, inflicting plagues on Pharaoh so that what? So that he will let the people go. Okay. So we've had nine plagues. Moses and Aaron have gone in and they've interacted with Pharaoh these nine times. Um, Let's... uh, Let's um, measure this from outward appearances for a second. If Moses' goal, as commissioned by God, was to set the people free, to lead them out of the bondage of slavery, has Moses thus far succeeded or failed? Failed. If God's goal, now again, I'm measuring by physical appearances, if God's goal was to inflict these plagues so that Pharaoh would let the people go, Thus far, has God succeeded or failed? No, go go back. I'm qualifying this. If we measure strictly based on appearances, if God's goal was to get the people free, has that happened yet? No. Now, keep going there just a little bit. 
God shows up and he says to Moses and Aaron, verse 3, 12, 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 3, tell the whole community of Israel, so get everybody back together, and tell them this is going to be the first day of your new year. Okay? All right, go with me here a second. We have a low blood sugar. <laughs> is that Amelia? Okay. Um, all right, so uh, we have a daughter with type 1 diabetes, and that little alarm is, is her, so I'm, I'm listening. Um, okay, go here with me a minute. So uh, Moses has gone in, and in the eyes of all the people, they have rejected him again and again and again. And suddenly God says, now go in, and I'm going to give you all these instructions for how you're to have and hold Passover, and it's going to be actually the beginning of your new year. And guess what? The people have not yet even seen Moses do what God sent him to do. Does that make sense? So Moses, in many ways, is walking in. And I want you to get something here because I think Moses probably is just like us and wrestles with personal insecurity and failure. Thus far, Moses has failed. In other words, the people are not only not free, they don't even have straw to make their bricks. And the people keep getting angry at Moses. And it does say they respected him. But in terms of like, here comes Moses again. Great. Awesome. Well, you know, what are you going to do to us this time? And he gives all these instructions. Well, you've got to take this, this, uh, this sheep, um, and then you're going to kill the sheep. And, and then he's going to give us all these instructions. And it's like, I, I want you to actually get into the head and the heart of what could be happening in the people here. They're ready to lead a coup against Moses and say, beat it, man. We don't like you. You've created problems for us and chaos and difficulty. We don't even know if we like your God. Come on, that's what's going here. Because it appears, based on what has happened, based on appearances, and if you're not living and walking by faith, it looks like God's failing. There are some of you who are probably sitting in that seat today. If you measure strictly on appearances, it looks like God may be failing. If you measure strictly on appearances, it may look like Moses is failing. One of the things that I dislike about um, professional Christians, <laughs> preachers, is we, um, we tend to give this thing that, um, th that you come to Jesus and everything's going to be great. And what we fail to communicate to people, and I don't know if I can even pull all this together for you, but what we fail to communicate is that it will be great, and it will be good, and God is good, but biblical parallelism or Hebrew parallelism is at play, and it might not be good now or tomorrow or this week or this year, but I'm telling you, the goodness of God and the presence of God is coming, and it will be good. But it might not be good today. And if we don't actually even dig into the scriptures and look at this and go, come on, it looks like God's failing. It feels like God is failing. You might even look at your own life and go, man, it feels in my own life like God is failing. You, you just saw me do a thing with type 1 diabetes with Amelia, our little three-year-old. The alarm went off. <clears throat> I believe with everything in me that Amelia is going to walk through the gates of eternity, and when she does, she will be fully healed. I am praying that she would be fully healed today. Now, hold on, hold on. Biblical parallelism, Hebrew parallelism. I am convinced that in the goodness of God, if he chooses to leave that 
child with type 1 diabetes, it is because it is for her greatest good and his greatest glory. And he is unfurling something that is going to come full circle. You follow me? So I'm not resigning that he's not going to change circumstances and heal my child. No, no, no. I'm actually going, Lord, I believe it. I'm asking for it. We're going to keep asking for it. But I am not going to relegate my God who is so big and so mysterious, the bookends, the creator of the earth. I mean, to relegate him into my present moment and to not take into account eternity past, eternity present, and eternity future. And that Hebrew parallelism or the language of heaven is unfolding would be absolutely foolish. So here's what I want to invite you to do, is begin to even look through your eyes of of your life and your circumstances, and does God care intimately about what you're going through today? Yes. Yes. But you've got to understand, he has stepped back looking from eternity, past, present, and future all at once. And there may be things in your life that you're going, I don't even know how to get up and face this. I don't know how to deal with it. It looks like God's a failure. It looks like Moses is a failure. It looks like this Christianity thing is a big bust. Why am I even wasting my time? And yet, but God. And this Hebrew parallelism, the language of heaven, is still unfurling. And if you judge God based on your you know, couple pound lumps of gray matter in your head and can't take into account that he is so much bigger, you will miss the very kingdom and presence of God in your life. Yeah? It's like you, you, we try to measure God and then we wrestle with, well, how can God be good if this is happening or that's happening? We're not even looking at it the right way. Just get it out. It's not even in the right sphere. It's like God is good and he is unfurling something and he will bring it all together. Okay, so you got these Israelite people who are going, man, it sure looks like God's a failure. For real. And it sure looks like Moses and Aaron are a failure and they've made our life miserable. I don't like them. (laughs) All right, so Moses rolls in, and this is what Moses said to do in verse 5. The animals you choose must be year-old males. So this is called Passover. This is the first Passover. Um, And Moses is giving the instructions uh, to the people on what they're going to do with the Passover lamb. Now, we tend to think Passover with 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 a little sheep. We tend to think of this little tiny bat, right? No, no, no. A year old lamb is like, they, a lot of them would have had a, like horns. I mean, they would have been like 80 pound things. They would have been huge. It's, it's actually a male at its prime. Hebrew parallelism. When did Jesus die? 33. Male in his? Okay. The animals you choose must be year old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Anybody happen to remember when Jesus died? Who said it? Three o'clock. Okay. Twilight. I'm not going to fully unpack this little twilight word, but if you look at the Hebrew of it, um, it, what it, it, in, in Hebrew culture, there was two twilights. And so what it actually, when it says, um, slaughter the lamb at twilight, it means between the twilights or at the first twilight. Guess when the first twilight was? Three o'clock. When Jesus died. 
Wait for it, I'm telling you, and I am telling you in your own life. Like the point of this is that so you can understand the character of God, you can understand who he is in the word, and then you can begin to make application in your own life. And when you're down and when you're discouraged and when you're hating life, you're going to go, no, 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 I'm going to wait for it because I believe that my God is good and he's going to bring it back around. Hebrew, parallelism, the language of heaven. Chapter or verse 7. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. All right, let's talk about that for just a minute. So, kill the lamb. They would have slit the lamb's throat. That's gruesome to some of you. That's what... The covering of our sin requires the shedding of blood. I told you last week, but in the garden in the beginning, when Adam Adam and Eve sinned, how did God cover their sin? Animal skins. He didn't even say, this is a sacrifice or I'm shedding blood, but he did it. Yeah? Okay. So, uh, take the blood, and what are they going to do with the blood? And then what do they do with it? We can go back. Verse eight, or verse 8. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire. Okay, so go again. Blood goes. And then they. Okay. Where is Jesus in your life? You want to know how to walk with Jesus? You park your life under, between, and you eat. The Jesus journey is about fixing your life beneath the blood, between the blood. He goes before you, he comes behind you, and you eat on the meat of the lamb. You want to be in the Jesus journey. That's why I'm always going, get in the one-year Bible, open your Bible, ask God to speak to you. Turn on your worship, like engage with what Jesus is actually doing. Because if you don't get in the Jesus journey, you're going to be in somebody else's journey out there. You know what I'm saying? I mean, the enemy's got a journey he wants you on. And you may even miss the magnitude of what Jesus wants to accomplish in and through your life because you're just distracted on this other journey. Where do you park your life? Under the blood, between the blood, before and behind and in. I mean, it becomes this full, like a full wrap and cloak and experience where you even eat, you appropriate, you take unto yourself the, the body of Jesus. What do we do when we have communion? Body and? That's right. It's, it's a, what Passover was to the Hebrew people, communion is to us Christian people. Yeah? That's, that's the, again, But it's so much richer when you can actually understand why we're doing this. Why don't we kill animals anymore? Jesus became the sacrifice. He became the lamb. He actually fulfilled. He didn't abolish the old covenant. No, 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 no. no. He fulfilled it. He brought it all together. I mean, it's just such a beautiful, beautiful picture. Eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs 
I'm not going to go into it today, but there's a, we, we could actually do a whole series on it. There's four cups of wine um, that, are, that are drunk in a traditional um, Jewish Seder, a Passover Seder. Um, there's also like six things on the plate that each have a lot of symbolism. It's powerful. I've actually never sat in an authentic um, Jewish Seder. I'd like to do that. Um, I don't, I, I mean, I, the Christians do it at sometimes, and that's fine, but I want to actually sit in an authentic, like, Jewish Seder and participate because the symbolism um, of what my Jesus has done in and through all this is so mind-boggling. It's like, oh my goodness. So the bitter herbs represents even their bitter years in Egypt. I think it even represents the bitterness that at times is present in the Christian life. Remember when the Apostle Paul got called and God showed up to Ananias and said, hey, go pray for Paul and tell him how much he must suffer for my name? That's New Testament. Now, am I saying God doesn't want to bless you? Not a chance. I'm just saying his blessing is so much bigger and far more than you can even comprehend. And we Christians get like this. We get microscoped in on the moment. Well, God must not be blessing me because things are bad. No, wait for it. Step back. Walk in faith. Embrace that he is part. He is still unfurling something that you can't even get. But that's where the faith comes in. Now, Passover was only celebrated one time uh, originally. Um, and then they celebrated it once a year thereafter. They still celebrate it. So, uh, but go here with me. Um, Passover is only celebrated one time. Do you think that there were people in the camp who may have celebrated grumpily or begrudgingly? I would guess so. There is only one opportunity to have faith. Can you have faith after the Passover has happened? No, because you look back and you can now experience it. You know it. You can only have faith on this side of something. So when you're in the journey and you are waiting for this Hebrew parallelism or this language of heaven to come back around, when you're in this journey and in the experience, that is the opportunity for faith. And it is only before you have seen it and experienced it that you can actually walk in faith. Because after you've seen it and experienced it, guess what? Now you know it. That's absolutely right. So we are in a unique position as Christians um, because we believe in something that we haven't yet fully tasted and experienced in terms of the kingdom of God. Are we going to die, those of us who are in Christ? And if you're not in Christ and you're in here today, you need to be. So you can give your life to Jesus at the end of this. I'll be up here and you can come talk to me and I'll walk you through it. His blood paid for your sin. But he is going to uh, take us through the gates into eternity. And we have an opportunity right now when things are difficult, uncomfortable, ugly, whatever it is, to actually walk and live by faith. You know what your reward in heaven? We talk about the judgment seat of Christ. You know what that's about? It's actually a judgment of reward. And it's a reward for faith. You think it's going to be a reward for doing stuff? Are we going to do stuff out of the seeds of faith that we have planted in our hearts? Yes, I'm not suggesting that you sit back and become an armchair Christian. Not at all. But I am saying what God is looking for is people who are willing to walk by faith. <clears throat> so Moses shows up, I think, feeling insecure, feeling like, oh my gosh, I've got to go tell all these people. Now they've got to kill a lamb and they've got to put blood on their house. Can you imagine? If you had to go put blood on your front door right now? It would have been weird then too. Oh, I mean, I'm, you know. Okay, verse 9. 
Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over the fire with the head, the legs, the internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. What's he saying right there? Eat it all. How much of Jesus do you want in your life? Everything. Eat it all. Once you're stuffed and full, guess what? Open your Bible and eat some more. I mean, I'm telling you, this is what, this is the word of God. It's like he is giving us sort of a pathway. I don't believe in formulas, but I do believe in like there, there are consistencies that begin to show up in the Christian life. And he's saying, you've got as much Jesus as you want. Eat it all. Come on. I'm preaching better than y'all are responding. I mean, what is the deal? I hope they're doing better online, Patrick. <laughs> All right. First, I'm just teasing, guys. If you, if you don't know me, I'm, I'm just teasing. Okay, verse 11. <clears throat> really important here. This is how you are to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Now, would they have worn their sandals in their houses at this time? No. Would they have kept their coat on in their houses at this time? No. This is like be dressed and ready. Um, so it, and then it goes, eat it in a haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Um, I'm so far off my notes, I have no idea where I am. But that haste is a little Hebrew word. And it, it, means, um, it actually means um, to eat it in a rush. Um, or eat it in a um, hurry, but if you dig one step deeper, it means eat with trepidation. Okay, so um, this is so big. We're gonna, let me see if I can, <laughs> I can get it for you. All right, eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. All right, pause here a second. Okay, so we're going to eat it with a staff in our hand. We're going to eat it with our cloak on or tucked in our belt. We're going to eat it with our shoes on, and we're actually going to eat it standing up. So what is that communicating um, to God and to the family that you're eating with? What are you saying? So, so if you came to my house and um, I, I said, and let's just pretend it's wintertime and not 100 degrees in Wilmington, but I said, keep your jacket on, keep your shoes on, we got rid of the chairs, we're just going to gobble this up real quick. Um, what, are we, what are we communicating? What are we saying there? Yeah, we're getting ready to go. We, we are getting ready to go. A lot of the commentaries actually suggest that this is all about being in a hurry. I don't think that's right. Okay? I don't think it's about being in a hurry. I think it's about an outward manifestation of inward faith. In other words, my God's about to deliver me from Egypt. I'm wearing my cloak. I got my staff. I got my shoes. I am leaving this place. I'm not a slave anymore. I have been set free. It is time to go. Pack your bags. Everybody ready? We're scarfing up our food real fast. It's an internal heart attitude, or it's an external um, experience, or an external representation of an internal heart attitude. Yeah? yeah? So what God is looking for us uh, as Christians is that we would actually be people of faith. Now, faith is manifested externally, but it is actually an internal heart reality. Yeah? But what is happening here is he is telling the people, and you could have looked at them and known who was actually actively walking in faith and who wasn't. 
because the ones who weren't probably would have not been holding their staff and their shoes would have been over here and their cloak would have been, you know, as long as the blood was on the doorpost, the destroyer was going to pass over. We'll get to that in a minute. But you could have looked and known who was walking in faith. Now, how do you please God? Faith. Where do you get faith? Oh, it's a gift. You receive it. It's a gift. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Now, so Moses goes, and he's like, hey, everybody, I know you don't like me. One more thing. Take a lamb, kill the lamb. This is what you got to do. Verse 13. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. All right, I'm going to skip over 14 to 20. It's good. Um, But it's it's just some practicalities of the festival. I don't think it's super pertinent for this morning. So we're going to go down to 21. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said, Go at once and select the animals for you and your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Verse 22. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it into the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the top and both sides of the door frame. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. Okay, cross-reference. Here it is. Hebrew parallelism. John 19:29, Jesus is hanging on the cross. And it says a jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it. And they put the sponge on a stalk. Anybody want to guess what kind of plant it was? Hyssop, Hyssop plant. And they lifted it to Jesus' lips. Our God is a mighty God. He wants to rescue you and deliver you and change you and put your feet on his rock and send your life in a wonderful trajectory. And it is going to be difficult and it is going to be beautiful and he wants to bless you and he wants to fill you and he wants to go with you. And he is asking that no matter what it looks like and feels like that you trust him, that this whole thing, no matter where you are, will come back and he will fulfill it. It's the language of heaven. It's the character of God. It is who he is. Verse 23, when the Lord goes ahead through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe, and he will pass over that doorway, and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Okay, so you get this idea that God or Jesus or is, is going through the land of Egypt, and there's places in Egypt where the Israelites and the Egyptians would have lived next to each other and even been lived in the same areas. And so they're going through, um, and the destroyer is with God, and God is literally going through, and when there's no blood on the house, what's he say to do? Oh, there's no blood on the house. So if there's no blood on the house, he's with the destroyer. What's that? Okay, but go, maybe I'm I'm not communicating well, so we'll start over. God and the destroyer are rolling through Egypt, okay? They come to a house. There's no blood. What do, you, what, what do they do? Destroyer goes in and kills the firstborn. Not just of the people, but of the animals. 
The judgment of God is real. Hell is real. It's just real. So is the goodness of God and the love of God and the mercy of God. He goes to the next house. There's blood. Okay, what do they do? Passover. God says, destroyer, someone has already died in that house. I want to skip ahead. Let's see if I can find it. Go to verse 30 of chapter 12. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was a loud wailing in Egypt. Uh, this is very culturally accurate. Like in, um, even today in the Middle East, when someone dies, they, they wail. Like they'll walk down the road and wail. So uh, it's, it's probably actually healthier than us Westerners. We could ask Meg. It's probably much, as a counselor, it's, it's probably, uh, they actually let it all out. Um, we Americans tend to bottle mess up, right? Um, but there's this loud wailing in Egypt, um, for there was not a house without someone dead. Okay, go there a second. For there was not a house, I'm in verse 30 if you're following along. But there's not a house without someone dead. Is someone dead in the house of the Israelites? Someone died in every house. The only way you can pay for sin before a holy God is with blood, is death. When God would see the blood over the doorpost, he would say to the destroyer, someone has already died in this house. Pass on. Okay, go here a step further with me. Is the blood of Jesus, let's, let's back off from that a second. The blood of the lamb is in a basin. There's a stalk of hyssop in it that had been used to put on the doorpost. Is the blood in the basin enough to save you? Go over again. I'm, I realize a little bit of a trick question. Is the blood in the basin enough to save you? What saves you? Jesus has paid the price. There is no one on planet earth that need to spend eternity separated from him. If someone does not take the blood and put it, and then, it is not enough to be saved. The blood has been shed. It has been paid. It has all been paid. The way has been paved. But if the Israelites did not take that blood and put it over and around, then the destroyer would not pass over. God would not say pass over this house and the destroyer would have entered and killed. Is it enough that you know Jesus shed his blood? No. So what is that act? Hebrew parallelism. What is that act where you personally take that blood and then you take of the lamb and eat? It's faith. It's asking the Lord Jesus into your heart. And I am a believer that while we only give our hearts and surrender our lives to him one time, there's also a daily act of that. In other words, I would say Michael uh, was saved and Michael's being saved and I'm going to keep being saved. You hear what I'm saying? It's an ongoing Jesus journey that we are in. So you don't just paint it one time, you, you, you live under the blood and you, you uh, invite the presence of Jesus to fill you again and again and again. 
Amen? Amen. All of him. All of him in all of me. Say that with me. All of him in all of me. Okay, we are, uh, we are way out of time, and I didn't know it, so I'm going to close this in prayer. Catherine, will you come? Oh, look, you're here. <laughs> let's close our eyes. Let's, let's just make this a holy moment. The presence of Jesus is in the room. The presence of the Holy Spirit is here. If you're at home and you're with us, I want to invite you to do the same thing. Turn down all the distractions. Set your stuff aside. If you're in Jesus this morning, if you've already given your life to him, I want to invite you just in a simple, fresh way to resurrender it all. To place your life under the blood of Christ, within the bookends of the blood of Christ and to eat on the body of Christ. His eyes are closed in the room. If, and Patrick, I think you're facilitating on our line. But if there's someone who needs to give their life to King Jesus, if you've never registered that God so loved this world that he gave his only son Jesus in the most beautiful biblical and Hebrew parallelism to pay the price for your sin and mine, you can do that today. I'll be up here afterwards if you're in this room. I'd love to talk to you. Patrick, if someone's online and connects with you, I'd happily meet with them. Christians, this is an opportunity to live our lives more fully encompassed in the blood of Jesus. This doesn't, for us as believers, this isn't as much about whether or not we're saved. It's whether or not you're experiencing the daily infilling power of the Holy Spirit. This is the, this is the pathway to experiencing the daily infilling and power of the Holy Spirit in your life. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to stand. Everybody stand up with me. I'm going to pray for us, and then if you need to slip out, you can, but I'm also going to ask Catherine to close us in a song. But if you need to slip out, you can feel free as soon as I pray. If you need to get your kids, that's fine too. But let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we know that you are the God, the creator of heaven and earth. And in the most beautiful language of heaven parallelism, you've brought things all the way back around to each of us. And Father, I pray for everyone in this room that we would live our lives more fully under your blood, in your blood, and eating of your body. Father, would you meet us and would you fill us? Lord, if there's someone in this room who's never given their life to you, I pray they wouldn't walk out of here or click offline without taking the next step. Church, if you need special prayer, there'll be a few of us up here. We're going to close in some song, but uh, this is amen. God bless you. God be with you. We're going to sing a minute, but feel free to slip out. Amen.